Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now here's your host, Richie Plush. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of All Autism Talk. I'm very glad to have you with us this week. Today's show is going to have a little more structural than it, than it usually does, and that is to support our special guest, Ido Kadar. Ido has autism and can't talk using traditional communication methods, but he does use a voice output device and has pre-typed some of his answers. When he was a kid, he and his family were told that he would not be able to communicate independently, but through hard work and a dedicated support team, Ido learned to do just that. Ido, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Welcome to our show. Thank you. It is my pleasure to talk with you today. Now, Ido, uh, we had the pleasure of having you on our podcast when you were 16, uh, 16 years old. At that time, you had just published your first book and were still in high school. How has your life changed since we last spoke to you? I am now 24, so a lot has changed. I graduated high school with honors, the first non-speaking autistic person in my school district, but not the last to do so. My original goal was to go straight to college after high school. However, my literary nature took precedence. I have taken many college classes, but I am now focusing on writing and teaching. I believe I have many more books in me, and I will continue to write. In addition, I am working on an educational project together with my mom. I keep myself occupied with hikes, cooking, and other things. I have served as a founding board member for Communication First, a civil rights organization for non-speakers. In addition, I have contributed to two anthologies edited by Dr. Edlin Penna. And of course, I constantly work on living with autism, because that is no easy feat. Thank you so much for that answer, uh, Ido. So you wrote your first, your first book, Ido in Autism Land, between the ages of 12 and 15. Uh, why did you write it, and how has it been received? I wrote Edo in Autism Land because it was necessary to educate people. When I started it, I didn't know it would become a book. I was full of emotions at that age because I was mainstreamed in school, but my autistic peers were not even able to communicate. Happily, some of them are able to now, but back then, I was the only one I knew in my neighborhood who had been taught to express my ideas by typing. I felt my own struggle deeply. I was trying to prove myself. It was hugely difficult to hold my autism at bay while learning in regular education classes, but I managed to do it. The other kids were still getting ABC in one plus one in the so-called low-functioning environment. No teacher, no professional, no one was even remotely curious if the other kids might have the same potential as I did. It shocked me. To be honest, I was trying to help other kids and their families by writing Hito in Autism Land. I really needed to express my ideas, feelings, and to educate others. It is written in journal form. Some essays are explaining symptoms, sensory issues, odd behavior, insights, challenges, and on and on. I hoped it would make a difference. It has. It has been used in university classes, translated into multiple languages, and helped many people to get communication. 
it is still selling well, and I hope it continues to help people. That's so that's so inspiring to hear that something you created really left such an impact on the community. Um, that, that's such a great message for for you to share with people. Your second book, In Two Worlds, is fiction. Uh, you can can you share a little about what inspired this story and what are the two worlds the title refers to? I was inspired to do something new. After I wrote Edo in Autism Land, and I continue to write nonfiction in my blog, EdoInAutismLand.com. I guess there came a time when I made a decision to challenge myself in a new way. My nonfiction writing had helped many people, and I knew it had had an impact on the lives of autistic people, their families, and professionals. But I also knew the larger world still knew very little about autism. I wanted to write something that would spread my message beyond the smaller world of autism and into the larger world, much as other works of fiction have introduced readers to new worlds and helped improve society. I was inspired by what fiction allowed me to do to let the reader really get into the head and heart of a person who can't communicate and no one thinks understands, into the sensory world he escapes to, and the frustrating reality of being totally misunderstood by everyone in his life, and being powerless to change things, until one day when everything changes. The two worlds are the boy, Anthony's, inner, century, nearly hallucinogenic world of autism, where his thoughts run around known only to himself. The other world is the more than 40 hours a week of therapies and remedial instruction in school he endures, unable to show his intelligence to others due to his trapped motor system. The second half of the book presents two other worlds that is, his life before he could communicate and he was trapped within his own body, and once he could communicate his thoughts and his soul was liberated to express himself at last. That's incredible. I cannot I cannot wait for this book to be out so I can read it. Um so so interesting the way you've described the two worlds and um the the fact that books give us an insight into someone else's mind and perspective. I, I like that and I love that you challenge yourself in a in a new way. That's that's so that's so great. I think more people need to do more of that. Um Ido, can you can you share a little bit about what the technical process is for you in your in writing your books? I map the book in my head, and I write it a paragraph at a time. It is slow going because I communicate with only one finger. I write my book in one of two ways. Sometimes I use a keyboard that is connected to the computer, and sometimes I point to letters on the letterboard, in which case someone else transcribes into the computer what I have pointed on the board. Both methods work for me, though the letterboard is a faster process. I do not sit alone. Someone helps me keep my autism at bay, so I don't jump up and move around. However, I wrote the entirety of both my books. I think it is clear when reading them that they offer a window into autism that comes from the inside looking out. Yeah, absolutely. And the dedication that it takes for you to be able to type uh, one paragraph at a time and communicate with one finger at a time the way you just described, I, I'm envisioning that this process is a very long process for you, and, and I'm glad that you have a support system to help you, uh, and I'm glad that you have people around you who have helped you and really helped us hear your message in that. I think that's that's so valuable. Uh, so i got to ask, do you do you have plans to continue writing? Absolutely. I am an author and will have more books. To be sure. But if it's all right, 
I'd like to share a little about my most recent book, what I consider to be my masterpiece, my novel, Into Worlds. As a novel it can take the reader deeply into the experience of autism, how it impacts the autistic boy, Anthony, and his loving but baffled family. Anthony lives in silence. No one knows he is smart, aware, funny, sarcastic and sassy inside. But the reader knows. The reader has the opportunity to hear Anthony's thoughts and feel his challenges and frustrations. It is through Anthony's eyes I tell the story of his journey from seven years old, totally trapped and misunderstood, to a young man, flapping his hands, but liberated by communication and speaking out for his rights. His story is a kind of coming of age, a journey of discovery and freedom, and takes the reader right into the heart of autism, from Anthony's inner world, a world so sensory it's practically hallucinogenic, to his outer world, his daily life that is controlled by professionals and their theories. My hope is that by going into the head of a non-speaking autistic boy that readers will be moved and gain insight into the experience of what it is like to live bombarded by sensory simulation, yet to be unable to communicate your thoughts and show people who you really are. The reader is the only one, besides the protagonist, Anthony, who knows he is smart and understands everything. Consequently they share his experiences and his struggles to communicate. It is also the story of his family. The book is true to life and has received excellent reviews from readers, Carcass Reviews and Book Life, where it was a quarter finalist for fiction. I hope you will check it out. I can't wait I can't wait to check it out, to be honest, you know, I, I got chills just uh hearing your description, the fact that going through this book that the that Anthony and the reader are going to be the only two people that know the what's kind of happening in the moment. I think it's such a such a brilliant way to educate and enlighten an audience that is um longing to hear that voice. Uh I I can't wait to read it. So I know that your story has educated uh, a lot of people on some of the misconceptions about individuals with autism. Are there any insights that you have gained in this process that were surprising to you? I guess I have been surprised by the lack of curiosity by many professional about those of us autistic people who type to communicate. I wonder why they don't wonder. It is decidedly uncurious. Maybe that was my biggest surprise. How people are not interested in changing their ideas, so they don't inquire. On the other hand, I have been pleasantly surprised by how much Edo in autism land has helped people. I get many letters from around the world that are very touching. I know that moving mountains takes a lot of effort, and I believe the process has begun. For those listeners who don't know what misconceptions you refer to, I want to assert that the misconception that applies to me and many other non-speaking autistics is that we are unaware, don't understand language and have social blindness. Therefore it is a problem of input reflected by the poor output. This is incorrect in my case and that of many other people. I understand everything. I have insight. My problem is one of output. That is, my motor system does not respond adequately to my brain's instructions. This can look like not understanding, unfortunately. But looks can be deceiving, as I have explained in my blog and both my books. That's I love that messaging that I understand and I have insight. It, the challenge for you isn't the input part; it's the output part. I love the way that you stated that. That's 
think that's really palatable for people, and they can hopefully learn from that um, and from from your books and your writings. So, can you share uh, can you share a little about the story of when you first learned how to communicate? I started behavioral therapy at three. Forty hours a week of drills. On top of that, I had hours of speech therapy. At the age of seven, I still had no means to communicate. I think that's pretty tragic, you know. The problem was that my level of understanding was grossly underestimated. No one realized my mind was fully intact. Every time my mom suspected I had more understanding than the data showed, she was told it was coincidence or wishful thinking. I had a different route to communication than most of my typing peers. I met Soma and started RPM training months after my mom discovered I understood, could read and could spell. Soma taught me to use my eyes and finger in a way that enabled me to point to letters and spell my thoughts. My mom worked with me all the time and my skills got better and better. I progressed to typing on a tablet or keyboard, on tabletop, always without any tactile assistance. But the day I had my breakthrough I was seven and I was sitting with my mom working on my birthday party invitations. I was handwriting words she spelled out loud for me, but sadly I was too fine motor disabled to hold my own pencil then, so she had to help me hold it. But at some point I started to spell a word she said out loud before she said the letters and she realized I was moving my own hand under hers and spelling words. She tested what she was seeing, and it became obvious to her that it was me spelling. It was emotional. But here's the thing. No one believed her or me because she had to help me support my pencil. It was essential I learn how to do it on my own, which I did. However, I must say, my movements were more compromised at seven. I could never have just shown my mom without help initially because I totally lacked the motor control at that time. My progress over the years has been substantial in independence and fluency, but even back when I was a little boy and my mom was helping me to hold my pencil, it was always me expressing my own thoughts. I like that you shared um, some of that emotional aspect to it. I agree with you. It is tragic that a seven-year-old couldn't communicate, but... I, I love that you were able to work with Soma, it sounds like, and your and your mom to really have that breakthrough. And we've learned so much from that today, and I imagine that's really helped you express yourself uh, in, a, in a ways that I, I hope that you continue to explore. Um, but how, I got I to gotta know, how, how did your life change from before to after you learned how to communicate? Before my communication was unlocked, no one knew I had an intact mind. The theories of behavioral therapy and all the rest insisted I didn't understand words. Of course, being locked in my own body, I had no means to dispute them. I had lots of therapy. My life was dominated by it. In school, we did the same remedial weather drills, math problems, and ABC lessons year after year. Like Anthony, the protagonist of my novel, In Two Worlds. I also lived in two worlds. My inner head was smart. The outside professionals perceived me as low functioning. My inner head multiplied, divided and enjoyed math. The outside experts thought I didn't know what a number was. 
My owner had heard everything wrong my experts said about me and the outside boy could not do a thing about it. In sum, before communication, life was powerless, barring, misunderstood and lonely. Having communication is better. It took several years to convince my school district to mainstream me, but once I was there, it worked out. I ended up graduating fourth in my high school class. I was highly motivated. I guess I have to accept autism as part of me, but I still write books, advocate and work on behalf of my fellow silent warriors and their loving families. I can't believe that's incredible. Graduating fourth in your class, that's that's an amazing feat. Um and I and to be able to use your voice to help advocate, it's it's fantastic. Uh, what is something that you wish more people knew about individuals with autism? It is important to understand that many people believe non-speaking autism is a language processing and cognitive disability, when for me, and for thousands of others, it is actually a motor disability, along with highly overloaded sensory input. So autism itself is a huge challenge and very frustrating. It prevents people from moving and behaving as they like and means they must always have some kind of supervision in life. But the misunderstanding of the disability just makes the situation exponentially worse. After all, if you had a disability that trapped you in dumb-looking motor patterns, you might be annoyed at the trap, but then trapped further by the professional response that believed that the motor patterns reflected lack of intelligence or thought. I guess that is my key point. Try to imagine being paralyzed. You tell your body to move and it refuses. Your brain is okay, it's the disconnect that causes the problem. Now imagine that your body is moving, but doesn't obey your brain. That creates impulses, patterns, and erratic movements. That's non-speaking autism. Kind of like a moving paralysis. That's such a great visual uh, for us to to consider, right? Being being trapped um, and and having that moving paralysis. That's a that insight is really, I think, going to be helpful for a lot of people. It's it's a different, certainly a different way for me to think about autism in the community and be able to the individuals that we support. Um, thank you for thank you for explaining it that way. What are your hopes to improve life for people with autism? This is an important question. I want there to be a real change in early education and expectations regarding our potential. I think about how frustrated I was as a child and how frustrated many are today. Had my disability been properly understood and treated at an earlier age, maybe I could have progressed motorically more. I certainly would have been less frustrated had I been taught to communicate at a younger age, and that would have been good too. No one should be denied the right to communicate his or her thoughts. It is a crime against humanity, in my opinion. Try to not communicate at all, in any way for just a few hours, and experience the frustration. Then imagine that lasting forever. I hope to help people understand that not talking is not the same as not thinking, and to assume competence in those who may be trapped, as I once was. Finally, I also believe good research is absolutely essential. Well, I think definitely your book is going to be a catalyst for a lot of people to continue to do research and hopefully be able to shed more light on on autism as a whole. Um, yeah, I, 
I have so many. I have so many thoughts. I, I'm trying to wrap my head around all the things that you're sharing with us, Ido, and it's and there's so many things that I'm thinking about and and wanting to learn more about and and um, and I hope that the people who are listening are encouraged to do their research and certainly listen to your message and listen to the books that you've written and read the books that you've written so that they can hear and educate themselves. Um, what you said, no one should be denied the right to communicate, is a powerful statement and. I hope people are listening to that and that they pull that from all that you're sharing with us today and through your books and blogs and other ways. So for you, Ido, what, what is next for you? I am starting to work on writing another book. Mainly, I am currently helping to develop an online class to help other autistic people gain the skills needed to communicate. My goal is to keep educating and advocating and to keep my challenges varied and fresh. On a personal level, one enjoy taking classes, cooking, and I love hiking. In addition, I am particularly eager to help people learn about In Two Worlds, because I believe it is a great book that deserves to be read. You can find In Two Worlds on Amazon, Kindle, and Smash Words as an ebook. Edo in Autism Land is also available in the same formats, as well as Nook. And Ido, we will post uh, links to all of those in our show notes so that people can find them easily. Um, I, I love that you're continuing to share your voice and educate not just the general population, but also individuals with autism through your online classes, through your books, through your blogs. Um, it, we are so fortunate and we are better because of the work that you're doing. And I just want to commend you and say thank you to you and your family for all the work that you've put in. Uh, it's it's certainly going to help all of us and all the clinicians and families really push forward um, the community and the supports that we offer. And thank you so much for your time today and your insight. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Richie. I enjoyed this opportunity to speak with you today about autism and about my books, Edo in Autism Land and Into Worlds. It was a great pleasure. Be well and take care of yourself, Edo. We look forward to having you on again in the future. There was so much in that conversation today with Ido. I, I'm I'm almost at a loss for words. I'm going to process a little bit with all of you uh, today just some things that stood out to me. Um, it was such a unique perspective of, of Ido's world and how uh, he could hear and understand and just couldn't articulate and couldn't give back. His input was fine, but his output was inhibited by his you know, uh, motor limitations and how everyone just sort of made the assumption of who he was versus who he really is. Um, and, and what a powerful voice he has and what a powerful message he's sending. Um, a couple of things that stood out to me that, that really just jumped off from my notes was one that he was surprised by the lack of curiosity from people right through, uh, just from some of his, uh, some of the people he's talked, spoken with, and some of the researchers, just that genuine lack of curiosity. I, for one, have more questions today than I than I anticipated I would have. Ending, um, I have more questions now than I did before we sat down, and I think it's really it's really important for us as people to to recognize that through our interactions socially and, and certainly with all of all of the families that we just need to continue to be curious. Um, had it not been for his mom's curiosity and uh, it sounds like his therapist's curiosity, they wouldn't have found this voice and really unlocked this powerful message. Um, just just inspired by this this book that he's written and inspired by the the message that he's sending of being able for the reader to be trapped with Anthony in his book of In Two Worlds, um, 
being able to experience that, I think it's going to give us a glimpse into his world and his, and, and his upbringing and a little bit of what he struggled with and overcome. And I think that's going to be so valuable and, and eye-opening for a lot of people. And really, hopefully, that, that sparks some of that curiosity and, and that sparks some of that genuine interest, whether it be from a research perspective or a communication perspective or just talking to people. Throughout all of this, throughout everything he said today, communication was obviously the the opening and the mechanism for him to be able to find his voice. And I think that's so important with every one of us. I can't I can't imagine not being able to communicate, you know, and as Ido was describing, imagine not being able to talk for a few hours. The only thing I could feel was loneliness and, and for him to be able to share that and to overcome that, I think is really insightful into what he was experiencing at the time and, uh, and what we need to be remembering as we're providing therapy or as we're caring for loved ones with autism. An episode like this week takes a lot of uh, planning and extra preparation. So before we conclude, I just want to give a special shout out and thank you to our producer, Christina Hempstead, for all the time and energy she put into making sure that everybody was set up for success in this. And of course, to our editor, Chad Kutsian, for making sure that everything flows the way it's supposed to. We appreciate both of your time and energies in this. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Therapies. And if you have a show suggestion or if you'd like to send us some feedback, please send us an email at allautismtalk at learnbehavioral.com. And feel free to subscribe and rate us at iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Thanks. Be well. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time.